Welcome to the Food and Beverage Processor Forum, brought to you by Food and Beverage Ontario. I'm Dyson Wells. And I'm Chris Conway, CEO at Food and Beverage Ontario. Today, we delve into a pivotal transition in Ontario's waste management landscape. A sizable change that puts a notable amount of responsibility on the province's food and beverage processors. Today, we're talking about Blue Box. On July 1st of this year, Ontario communities began to shift towards a new producer responsibility framework for their waste management systems. A transition set to encompass the entire province by December 31st, 2025. We'll dissect the operational, management, and financial facets of this transition for producers, alongside the merits this new model presents for Ontarians and the business sector. With us today to help break down this topic are Michelle Axby, Senior Compliance Officer, and Mary Cummins, Registrar, both from the Resource Productivity and Recovery Authority, or RIPRA. We also have Shane Buckingham, Principal at Apex Policy, Inc., and former Strategic Communications and Producer Relations Lead at Circular Materials. Now, without delay, let's jump in. Thank you for joining us, everyone. I'm excited to jump into Blue Box as a topic here, especially with the recent changes. Mary, give us a little bit of an overview of of the Blue Box program. Explain to us what it was before this change that's occurred. Absolutely. So so before the, the Blue Box program in Ontario was operated by the 444 municipalities in Ontario and about 250 different programs, sort of a patchwork across the entire jurisdiction. Each municipality developed their own rules on what was put into the blue bin. Each municipality made their own decisions on how the program was run, uh, whether they wanted to work with an external service provider to do hauling and and processing the material collected uh, was up to each of those 250 programs. Uh, so, so it was a bit of a, a patchwork. Producers, or stewards as they were called under the old program, were accountable for paying into it. So reimbursing those 250 programs for up to 50% of their cost of operating the programs. That mechanism uh, was ruled out using an organization called Stewardship Ontario. Every company who who produced blue box waste essentially had to register with Stewardship Ontario, report their supply data, how much blue box material they put into the market. Stewardship Ontario would then do some math to figure out uh, what their each individual producer or steward's share of that 50% funding was and then dive the money out to, to those municipalities. That's how the world used to work and look. Well, I mean, what's it look like now? Because <laughs> there's there's been a change recently, right? Absolutely. And it's a, a significant change for Ontario, for the municipalities, for the producers, previously called stewards, and for, for everyone in that supply chain that I just mentioned, from the folks who pick up your, your blue box at the curb to, to the ones that are taking that plastic bottle and making it into a plastic pellet so it can become a plastic bottle again. And that change really comes down to taking those 250 programs and making one. 
so now you've got those stewards under the previous program, producers, so so large companies, medium, mid-sized companies, anyone who basically contributes to, to blue box waste in Ontario are both financially and legally accountable for creating one blue box system across the province, not 250. And they, they have to, to make sure that system's run in accordance with the blue box regulation under the law. Okay. So when did this new change come into place? This was in the summer, right? So the first uh, beginning of this transition, as, as I'm sure you can imagine, moving 250 municipally run programs over to one uh, national or sorry, provincial program uh, is a, a large exercise. And so, so what that means is it started on July 1st of this year mm-hmm. with the first one third of those 250 programs transitioning. And then it's going to be rolled out over the next few years so that on January 1st of 2026, the entire program, all of those 250 programs has moved over to one. And if you will, not just the one program, but the keys to that one program being given to the producers who are financially responsible and accountable for that one program now as opposed to those 250 municipally run programs. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've shifted over or are in the process of shifting over to a producer responsibility model. Uh, and it sounds like it's going to be simplifying things a little bit. And um, those who have been watching this this topic closely have probably started to see a few news articles coming out about municipalities uh, opting out of blue box or making that decision. Um, so... When it comes to producers uh, of packaging and everything like that, um, handling this, my understanding is that they have what's called a pro. So Shane, uh, I was wondering if you can kindly do the same. Give us a bit of an introduction about what a pro is and what a pro does for producers in in kind of helping them manage uh, their obligations for waste management. Yeah, so producers in Ontario have individual responsibilities to establish and operate a collection system for blue box material. They have to meet management targets for uh, six different types of materials, and they also have to carry out promotion and education and then report on their supply and performance data to the regulator. In order to gain the efficiency in delivering on all of those requirements, producers choose to work through a producer responsibility organization that carries out those functions for them on their behalf. So that's what most producers do. Uh, I mean, I think there is the ability to do an alternative collection system under the blue box regulation. I'm not aware of one that's been put forward, but for the majority, producers are working through producer responsibility organizations. Okay. All right. Um, so I guess my question here, um, I guess when it comes to managing this, I, I know you mentioned education. What uh, is it the pros who are responsible for educating producers as well? Or is that more broader public education? Yeah, so it's a combination early on with the establishment of the Blue box collection system, a lot of what producer responsibility organizations did undertake was to educate producers on their obligations and to recruit producers to sign up with their pro to provide these services, as I've outlined. 
But then that moves over into the promotion education requirements under the regulation that pros are required to provide for uh, residents. So we're, you know, when you go back to the beginning of all of this, when we were discussing the policy framework, what producers wanted to be able to achieve was a standardized list of materials across the province to ensure that no matter where you are, if you're going to work or you're at home or you're headed up to the cottage, you can recycle the same list of materials no matter where you are in the province. Once you get that type of standardization and you can scale and get province-wide promotion and education, that's how you'll be able to reduce contamination going into the blue box and get better results overall. So early days, it was about getting producers to join into producer responsibility organizations. Now that the transition has started as of July 1st, the focus is on promotion and education for Ontario residents. Okay. So um, let's pretend that I am a a beverage manufacturer in Ontario. And I make this amazing cola. Uh, we do great sales. And now this regulations come into place. This new um, policy changes come into place or we're transitioning to it. And I partner up with a pro. What changes? What, where, where do I even begin with here with with this here? So my understanding is that it's now a producer's responsibility um to make sure that their bottles are going to be properly managed throughout the system that they're going to be recycled or that uh, an amount of plastic will be recycled so let's start with um the enforcement aspect first my understanding is i'm going to get a quota is that correct so you have a target that's individualized in the regulation based on your supply data. So, so let's say you only supply this one, one type of cola, only this one type of PET bottle. You report your, your sales data and the kilograms of how much that weighed to our PRA. And we will tell you under the law what your, your performance requirements are, how much of that you need to get back. Not your specific cola bottle, just that of plastic recovery. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's not like I have to go track down whoever's enjoying my amazing drinks and desperately asking them to please throw that into the blue bin and not the the garbage bin. Um, okay, uh, so I, I'm gonna try and run with this to try and help people picture how this program kind of works. I find it helpful to help visualize it. So, okay, I'm gonna get. You didn't use the word quota, Mary. You used performance management requirement. That's yeah. what they're they're called. Target is also a more common vernacular. And like for, for our industry, target is the term mm -hmm. that, that I think you're looking for. Right. So one Shane would know that I would know. We call it minimum management performance requirement, but that is a bit of a, a lot of to say. Just, just go with target. I appreciate the layman <laughs> term that I can use. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. So I got a target. How is the, uh, the target assessed specifically? So I assume that they may look at the actual packaging itself and they're going to make an assessment and then determine how much I have to bring back? So they're going to look at how much packaging they supply. So they're going to say, I supplied a thousand of my colas and they were in a container that weighed this much. So I'm going to multiply that kilograms by a thousand. I'm going to report it into the registry with RPRA and RPRA is going to tell me my target. How much plastic do I actually have to recover? 
And then I'm going to take that target and I'm saying, now, how am I going to do it? How am I actually going to do this? I'm in the business of selling cola and not, not, not getting those plastic flakes back. Mm-hmm. So, so as Shane was saying, I'm very likely going to engage contractually, go out there and look for a service provider to help assist me. And that service provider, uh, we, we call them pros, producer responsibility organizations. That's who I'm going to then negotiate with private market negotiation. There's multiple pros. I get to decide who I want to pick based on a variety of different factors. Um, Those factors are for me to determine. And I'm acquiring a service provider the same way I would acquire a service provider for any other line of my business. The one that that, uh, folks might be able to link this all more closely to is Canadian Revenue Agency. You've got a regulatory authority, Canadian Revenue Agency, or RPRA in this case, who you are legally accountable to, who you have to report to, you have to ensure it's accurate, and you actually have to perform. They have compliance powers, enforcement powers over you, just like RPRA, but you can go out there and hire an accountant to help you do it. It doesn't change the fact, though, that just because you hire an accountant, that you're not legally on the hook to CRA. Uh, the accountant is is there to help you perform, make sure you understand, get your books in order, submit things. But that is not the same thing as saying to the CRA, if that accountant messes up, you 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 don't get to say, but I hired someone to do this for me. Right. So I, I don't get to go to Shane and, and ask him to pay the fine if I mess up. Okay. That makes, that makes sense. That's a really good analogy there. So when it comes to picking a pro Shane what is an organization what should they be looking at to make the right partnership there because now that I understand that if this goes belly up it's me on the hook not the not the pro what should I be looking for in a in a partnership when it comes to selecting a producer responsibility organization I think each company needs to take a look at their own business and ensure that they're getting the right, you know, producer responsibility organization for their specific business. Um, Of course, you need to ensure that that producer responsibility organization can deliver on all of those different objectives. So the requirements that are in the regulation, because you as a producer, if you're signing an agreement to say you're going to establish and operate a collection system on my behalf, well, then you need to ensure that that will be in place and then meeting the management requirements or the targets. Um, You have to ensure that they have the right systems in place so that they can collect the material, they can sort the material and get that material marketed so that you can be compliant with the regulation. And that's an important point here, is that these are um, management targets that are on the individual producer. So the individual producer is accountable for meeting those targets. So you really have to ensure that you're getting the right service provider or producer responsibility organization that can deliver on that for you. Okay. I was wondering if you can maybe bring us through the actual process. When I first heard about this program, I had no understanding yet. So I was wondering a lot of different things. I was wondering, you know, how exactly does a manufacturer start getting into collection of their recyclable goods and how do they navigate this whole system? Because I was looking at this going, this is a large endeavor. And now it makes more sense when you have essentially a partnership with an organization that specializes specifically in this. That cleared things up for me. One thing I just want to get on the table here is what changes for 
Ontarians. They're going through their daily life. They're just trying to, you know, navigate the recycling stuff that they've known for so long. Is anything changing for them? So between now and the end of transition, which is January 1st of 2026, nothing should change for the consumer. Residents in Ontario should notice no change. They're still putting their, their blue box material out. Um, it might be a different number that they, they call uh, when they, they run into issues with their collection or something happening on the curb. Uh, but ultimately, they, they shouldn't notice if everything goes seamlessly as it has been. Um, they shouldn't notice any change. But then come January 1st, 2026, that's that key date where the transition of those 250 programs is complete and there's one program being operated now, which means that the accountability, it's not just a funding mechanism program. It's not just about switching the base of who pays for this. Now what happens is that one program becomes fully operational across the program or across the province. So, so what you get is that one program finding efficiencies and saying things like there's a common list of materials now. Shame sort of uh, talking about that in the PNE, uh, saying things like this is the best way for us to reach residents in Ontario about what that common list of materials is. This is the best frequency upon which to pick up blue box material, the best bin to pick it up in, the best routes to get it to its destinations, the best recyclers to turn it into pellets. So it's not just that the producers are paying for something, they're actually involved in the running of it. So so they can say, uh, how do I want to get those plastic pellets back? And that's the key concept in extended producer responsibility just making about money, transferring from one one payer to another, that's still EPR, that's still extended producer responsibility. But this is one step further in the sense of saying, giving the control of the whole system to those same producers who are paying for it uh, so that they can either get those plastic pellets back and put them into their product, for instance. So that same cola producer might say, I'd like to start adding recycled content to my plastic containers. How do I get the pellets back? Well, now they're actually accountable for running a system that will do that. And they'll, they'll be able to start to have those conversations. Okay. Um, well, I guess I want to open it up to the floor then. What are the benefits to sh transitioning over to this new system? What I'm really looking for specifically is an environmental aspect. Climate change, stuff like that's a hot topic now. It's going to be an even hotter topic uh, by 2026. So puns aside, what are the benefits here when we're switching over? Just to build on even the last question too, for Ontario residents, I mean, this is unlike most policies where it's going to be marketed to Ontarians as a major policy change. I mean, as Mary pointed out, for the first couple of years, Ontarians shouldn't even notice that there's a change. They should just have the exact same service as they've always had. And ensuring that it's a seamless transition over to producers is the goal so that nobody really notices. But then moving to that next step, it's to get the better, you know, that standardization in the system so that you're getting a cleaner stream of materials from collection sortation all the way to the end market. The real system change is what Mary highlighted, where the producer is ensuring that that material is directed to a responsible end market and that material can be recirculated back into new products and packaging in the Ontario economy. So 
setting up producers to first, you know, in certain cases, meet recycled content goals. And then there are, you know, we expect recycled content standards to be published for consultation at a federal level, ensuring that producers can meet recycled content standards if those are put in place at a federal level. This, this is a necessary component to getting to that, is building the necessary collection, sortation, uh, infrastructure to ensure that you have the material to meet those types of goals and then eventual standards. Mm -hmm. It will, it will take time though. I think that's really important that folks understand that, um, you know, not to, to think that January 1st, 2026, all those benefits are going to be immediately seen. It's going to take some time to roll out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so no instantaneous win. We're not just going to see everything just shift in a day. Chris, you, speak daily with with a lot of producers in Ontario and I know that this was a, a big topic of discussion when it was coming across because it is a, a notable change and obviously tied to a lot of organizations um, organizational values I'm sure and that they or the organizations that they're patrons of are committed to protecting the environment so are there any questions uh, that they may have about this program as of right now Thanks very much, Tyson. The first thing I would say is I would encourage any of our members, uh, like you should be with a pro. If you're not with a pro, you, you know, you really, you need advice on this. You need guidance um, would be my suggestion on this more than anything. And this uh, landscape is getting increasingly complex. So I think in terms of our members, you know, even the larger members, uh, we can't necessarily be fooled into thinking just because they're large organizations that, you know, sometimes people say, you know, I'm the resource, like there's one person who's kind of trying to stick handle some of this stuff. Obviously, within the organization, there are many, many people who are involved in stick handling this, but in terms of actually understanding at a high level how this is working. So um, I think for a lot of our smaller members, it's a challenge, uh, frankly, and they, they need advice on it. So this type of uh, session is very, very helpful for them. 90% of our members are small companies, right? So we have thousands of food and beverage processors in the province, 4,000. So um, Beyond that, the one thing I would ask about, and I'm sort of, you know, is the integration of this. Um, this is one that, you know, there's been quite a bit of effort put into establishing this system in Ontario, and this is a little bit outside the scope of what we're doing here today. But lately, what we're hearing a lot about is there's some federal initiatives that are happening. And, and my concern with that is, you know, if two kind of aspects of that is one, we have national companies, so they don't just operate in Ontario. So you have that piece of things, but also we have things happening at the federal level. And I, I'm personally really hoping they make an effort to coordinate with what's already occurred at the provincial level with some of the, I'm thinking specifically about some of the plastic stuff so that, because now there's this extra layer of complexity out there and that's creating, I think, to be fair, a little bit of confusion. People are trying to figure this out and what it's going to mean and what it's going to mean in different provinces. So I, I just put it out there. I realize this is that particular piece is a little bit outside the scope of the provincial aspects of this, but if anybody's got any comments on it, I'd be very interested in hearing them about some of the federal stuff that's happening right now. I think I can just, you know, build on some of those comments that I made about recycled content is, you know, knowing that that type of a requirement on the demand side will be put in place uh, soon enough. Uh, producers need to make sure that they're getting enough supply of material to be able to meet that type of requirement. So uh, when it comes to extended producer responsibility 
that mainly falls to the provinces. So we're seeing that provinces have the ability to set up these regulations and there are transitions to extended producer responsibility happening in several provinces across the country right now. And I think what we're seeing is there is a consistency in some of the you know general approaches that are being taken to extended producer responsibility uh, in terms of definitions and how targets are being set and how producer responsibility organizations can be set up and the development and implementation of program plans. So I think that there's the ability to work together with some of those policies. Um, and then just in terms of a federal registry, I think that also is an area where there needs to be collaboration. And I think people are waiting to see a final proposal on that because producers have reporting obligations in several different provinces. And I'm sure, Chris, with many of your members, they're asking those questions quite frequently about how do I report, where do I report? And so trying to find an industry solution to make that as uh, streamlined as possible is important. And then also making sure that uh, different regulatory uh, reporting systems work together is another priority of industry. Uh, Michelle, I wanted to open it up to you as well. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the the Blue Box program, but um, maybe you can help us kind of envision what 2026 is going to look like once we get there. Um, I'm looking forward to 2026, um, mainly, again, just to go back to what Mary and Shane were saying about the standardization of materials. Um, that's going to be um, a big benefit to Ontarians that live in more rural communities, more agricultural or northern communities that um, in the past may have been limited to what they were um, able to collect from their residents. And those materials end up in landfill. And so that's going to ultimately um, be collected and um, those municipalities and First Nation communities are going to see a direct benefit um, to that standardization. And everyone across Ontario is going to, it doesn't matter if you're at your mom's house or if you're at your cottage or your own house, you're going to finally know that you are recycling the same material across the province. Um, the second thing that I'm looking forward to is seeing uh, the communities in our province that still don't have recycling programs. Um, listeners might be surprised to hear that there are communities in Ontario that still do not operate blue box programs. Um, and those communities will be added to the system starting in 2026. So we're actually going to have more materials across the board being collected. And uh, that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, thank you. Uh, those are some excellent points. Uh, the The northern communities aspect is an interesting one. Um, I mean, anyone trying to put policy together for northern part of Ontario, you know, I, my heart goes out to you. Uh, it's the infrastructure is a challenge and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, I was up there uh, not too long ago and I got an appreciation for the whole discussion around landfills where, you know, I mean, I was shocked that people were talking about, I mean, when you go up there, they call them dump eagles, but like you have bald eagles, which everyone, their first image of that is, you know, these majestic creatures flying through the sky and in effect up North because of the access to, to food and stuff like that, uh, they play the role of a seagull. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of health aspects. Climate impact is awful with those things. Um, so bringing in a recycling program, bringing in, um, filling in that gap 
is very encouraging. Uh, just, you know, for me who doesn't live there, but has just kind of seen that and how that impacts uh, life up there. I'm very happy to, to see that. Um, and, and definitely uh, sounds like there's going to be some very good benefits coming along with this program. So thank you. Excellent points. I'm going to jump back into my analogy uh, very quickly here because there is a, an aspect I know we do have to talk about. Uh, I have a target. It's not a quota, but it's a target. And I have to recycle a certain amount. And my pro's out there, and he's going to bring back a certain amount or kind of tell us that these are being recycled. So when the collection of um, recyclable material is, is kind of brought in, my understanding is it could be weighed. How does a pro go about determining this is all plastic the this kind of bale of recyclable goods is all plastic it doesn't contain like a bowling ball or something like that um and then how does that kind of bring back to, to pellets and how does that get reported back to me i think what you're asking for is just an overview of how that works like how yes. how if you will that reverse supply chain works so mm -hmm. from the moment that a blue box um you're an ontario resident and you drop that plastic cola bottle into to your curbside blue bin what happens next mm -hmm. and what happens next is that that curbside blue box is picked up uh by we call them haulers or service providers servicing the community they're either on contract directly with a pro or on contract with the community who's on contract with the pro uh and then they're taken to to recovery facilities um those facilities are taking that material and sorting it and saying, okay, so I want to, my goal is, and if you've ever had an opportunity to go to one, and if you live in a community, most of these recovery facilities are open to tours so that you could even go and see how this operates. Uh, but they're physically sorting it out with their hands, uh, with machines. So there's optical sorters, um, there's eddy currents, there's all these technologies used throughout the whole whole facility to get to the end to say, now I have a bale, a smooshed thing of a whole bunch of those cola bottles, all different brands and companies. And it's they're all made out of, let's say in this scenario, PET. And that's one of the most common. So it's a PET bale. It's not perfect. There's going to be stuff inside there that didn't mean to be because there's no sorting mechanism that can, can put out 100% yield of, of perfection. Um, that plastic PET bale is then sold uh, to to a recycler. There's usually some steps in between potentially, but ultimately it's being sold to a recycler of PET. Um, it could be resold to, or it could be sold to a, a recycler of just plastic who breaks up the bale. And maybe that plastic recycler is only after the um, HDEP, so high density polyethylene, and they send the rest of the PET to someone else. So the whole, the way the whole chain works that way could be complex, but if at a high level, you got a bale of bottles, PET bottles, and they're going to be sold to a PET recycler who takes those bottles, breaks up that bale, recycles them and turns them into plastic PET pellets, who then can be sold to be made into new water bottles. Mm -hmm. so, so that's the process. And all of it needs to be tracked. Mm -hmm verified and audited. And that's what makes Ontario quite unique and special as well, uh, is our tracking, auditing and verification of this. In other jurisdictions, it does not exist. Under the previous program, it did not exist. Now we will be able to say with confidence, 
where those PET bottles are ending up. Uh, you you can't send blue box material to someone in Ontario anymore or outside Ontario if they're, they're not a processor registered with RPRA with the tracking and verification not ability. Okay. All right. So um, it's essentially sold. And so my pro would be responsible for when my pro comes in here, what, what part of the process are they kind of diving into here? And uh, from there, I just want to go into uh, the reporting aspect. So um, anyone brave enough to jump in to explain where the pro kind of fits in, like, where are they in this process? I, I was going to say, I think, Mary, you're probably best positioned to talk about this now because we were talking about the development of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. It, uh, true. Uh, I think your pro probably jumps in, though. Uh, if if I were looking for a pro, uh, you might want to ask them questions about this and their supply chain. How are they going to make sure that, you know, my my cola bottle material is actually ending up at a recycler that's registered with RPRA? How am I making sure it's actually being turned into new pellets? So so the pro does jump into this right from beginning to end. They're, they're a part of it. A producer's role in it doesn't end, though. So the producer's always accountable. So so if my cola bottle ends up in some country with an unregistered processor and there's a picture, let's say uh, it's proven that it's from Ontario, I, I might have problems, right? So so that that might be something that, that you want to engage with your pro. Well, your pro setting this all up for you. You might likely want to be engaged with your pro to determine how they're setting it up and how they're making sure they're providing that service to you. Uh, but ultimately... All of the traceability, all of the the reporting structure, all of the auditing uh, is through your pro and RPRA. So you're not the one as a producer going out there and doing any of the auditing to make sure uh, that PET bottle that was collected at this curb here at my house is actually being something that can be traced and tracked the whole way through. RPRA and your pro is, is doing that service for you. Okay. Well, that, that's good to know. I'm sure that a lot of organizations, especially the smaller ones, probably got very anxious about the idea of having to wear another hat like this, and it's a big hat. That'll kind of leave it up to towards our, our closing statements, I guess, with, with this discussion. Are there elements here that uh, we haven't touched on that you think producers may be interested in or should know about this program? Shane, did you want to go first? Or? Yeah, I think that, you know, when when you look at this type of a system, uh, Ontario has a unique approach to blue box recycling and other provinces are different. I, I think really when it comes to producers that are looking to find a producer responsibility organization in the province, they should be looking for an organization that addresses the needs that they have as uh, a company. So some of them are looking for, you know, consistent reporting across jurisdictions so that that can support them with reduction of burden. Others may be looking for, um, you know, a multi-material producer responsibility organization. It's really up to the individual producer in assessing what works best for their business model. There have been, you know, discussions here too. And the other thing I'll mention is, you know, there are some differences in the way that the targets work. Um, you know, beverage containers do have a target that goes even beyond just residential collection and outside into collection in industrial, commercial, and institutional, so that there will be additional systems that are required to. Uh, collect beverage containers in the province. And there's a discussion currently happening within 
the government of Ontario right now to look at uh, different collection models, including a deposit return system. So that's another part of the overall discussion that's happening in the province right now. Hmm. That's an interesting point. So I, I will ask about that. We used an example of, of a plastic bottle. What if a, a, a recyclable good contains two types of recyclable material? How does, I assume it's RIPRA that would be making the assessment, but how do you determine what my target would be? Uh, and would it be of one material specifically, two different materials specifically, or both? Yeah, it really depends on how much of the packaging includes both materials because there's a component threshold rule as well. So it would have to, you know, it really depends on how much you're talking about there and whether there's going to be a separation between that. But Mary, you might be better positioned. Yeah, we that. do. We do have rules on that. Uh, our parade does. Michelle um, is, is very familiar with them. So if there's, I, I don't know the threshold components offhand, but Michelle may, uh, but we do have rules and guidance on all of that. Okay. Uh, so, um, Michelle, may, I won't put you on the spot for numbers. Uh, <laughs> I won't do that, but maybe you can give me an example of, uh, a type of, of product that may actually be, uh, required to look at, to determine like, okay, this is, this is going to be like a mix of this and this. Exactly. Yeah. So um, a good example would be um, a juice product that's contained in um, aseptic packaging that also includes um, a straw attached um, to the outside of the packaging. Um, we would use the component threshold rule to determine um, the weight of the, the unit weight of the aseptic packaging. And then um, the ancillary product, which is the term that we use for anything that is attached to a product that facilitates the use by the consumer, then you would also use the, the threshold rule to calculate the weight of the straw and to determine whether or not you needed to um, report both numbers or just one. Um, the same thing would be for um, example for um, a soda that comes in a glass bottle with a metal um, bottle cap. Um, same thing. You would need to use the component threshold rule to determine for your product the unit weight of the bottle and the unit weight of the bottle cap. And um, usually um, what we suggest is if producers have questions about their specific products, because while there is a lot of standardization across the industry, um, producers always have specific questions about their specific um, company, their specific products, we always encourage folks to call um, or email the registry, um, compliance officers. Um, it is literally our jobs to get on the phone and hear from producers their specific questions about how it relates to their business and, and to help guide them through understanding what their obligations are, how best to report, how to report accurately. Okay. So, um, I guess uh, we'll make sure to include ways that uh, producers can reach out within our show notes uh, or to the description so that people can do that. Uh, my question is as well, just hearing you kind of talk about the auxiliary aspect of a product. So those straws, I mean, there's been shifts to um, changing the product design, the packaging design, or adding paper straws. There's been a lot of changes around there. Is, is this... Is this um, new way of recycling, this new um, producer responsibility model, going to lead to more innovations within product packaging design? Is that a hope? 
I think it's certainly a hope, but that's more of a it's a very debatable question um, with a lot of different answers and and reasons for those answers. Um, and I think I would actually ask that question of the producers. Not you're you're not asking the regulator or the pro or or anyone like that. I would put this back to the producers and say, high producer of that cola bottle, knowing knowing this. Are you going to change any of your design? Are you going to make your cola bottle have less PET now? Mm-hmm. So it's not a question for us, but a question for for the producers themselves. Beverage containers are like one of those highly collected recyclable materials that go into any type of recycling system. I think more of the focus is going to be on some of those harder to recycle materials. And so really, if you have an extended producer responsibility system, that puts the the costs and the operation back on the producer, you need to be designing materials that are going to be easy to collect, sort, and market for recycling. So you need to have viable end markets for that material in order to ensure that it's sustainable throughout the whole system. So uh, we'll see as uh, there are some ambitious targets, uh, including for flexible plastics in Ontario, We'll see what type of impact that has. But if you're trying to reduce costs throughout the recycling system, having things that can be managed more efficiently throughout that system will be in the interest of producers. Okay. One thing I would just comment on, I've heard, um, you know, is the retail end of this too, in terms of what the retailers want to see in terms of shelf life of their products and things like that. So that's a piece Mm -hmm. of it, particularly as we hear more about the federal stuff that people are talking about. Um, where a retailer may want a certain shelf life for a product, you therefore have a certain type of packaging and a certain type of material. So that's another piece of this we're starting to hear about. So that's going to have to be, um, it looks like at the federal level, that's the approach they're taking. It's going on the retailers initially, but um, certainly for the whole system here, we're going to have to perhaps have that discussion as well and make sure they're included in those discussions about what the requirements are on the retail side. And therefore, why the processors putting something in a specific package could be very much related to that. Yeah. And I know that I've, I've brought this question up before. Um, and I know that the answer I got was also to be careful, uh, because as much as I'm sure everyone involved wants to have more, uh, easily recyclable material, um, and that we can talk about it in this kind of frame as a way to even save money, you got to be careful because there's a lot of reasons why a producer may choose certain packaging. Um, and, you know, that could actually be a very costly change, even with savings that they may see through effective recycling. So I will acknowledge that because I'm sure that a producer listening to that who may struggle with that might be just screaming at their phone <laughs> saying... It's not that simple. Uh, So we hear you. It's not that simple all the time. But uh, I did want to know maybe that was where we're trying to go. Um, So, okay. Um, Any more uh, aspects that we should talk about before we we say goodbye here? Just just to mention, though, too, I mean, if you think of an aluminum can, that is designed to be recovered and recycled and can be recycled over and over and over again very easily so you get that recycled content same with pet so i think that uh producers have um you know certain sectors are going to have highly recyclable materials that work for the system we're going to have to work on other areas to make sure that it can become more effective but 
I think we'll have to see, you know, how Ontario progresses as the program rolls out and as we get into the new system in 2026. Mm-hmm. Chris. I would just say, just to encourage anyone listening, again, if you need advice, reach out. Um, don't hesitate because uh, there is some complexity with this. And um, I've had a number of people sort of, you know, we had a deadline pass in July. But prior to that, I had a lot of people calling me at the 11th hour sort of saying, hey, I got to get on board with this. So um, don't hesitate to reach out if you need advice uh, on this. There's there's advice out there. Mm-hmm. Including if you're worried that you're non-compliant right now. We we recognize as a regulator, this is a transition period and this is complex and difficult to understand. So if you're sitting there saying, I've done nothing on this yet, uh, do not be afraid to reach out to us. Our PRA is your regulator. We will help you figure it out and navigate it as well. Um, our, our goal here is to bring people into compliance, not not to punish. Now the CRA analogy is not working out so well. we're nicer i suppose yeah yeah (laughs) all right well uh amazing discussion uh thank you so much uh for joining and uh for offering some insight in this i know it's a a complex topic i was trying my best to to not make myself a fool asking some obvious questions so if i did you guys were very kind in answering it um so i appreciate that and uh uh thank you Thank you very much. That's all for today's show. Thank you for joining us. And we'll catch you next month for our next segment on Food and Beverage Processor Forum, brought to you by Food and Beverage Ontario. Take care, everyone.